0: This is Psalm 89, one through eight. A Meskil of Ethan the Ezraite. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations, I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. For I have said, loving kindness will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will be established your faithfulness. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Selah. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the Holy Ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? a god greatly feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all those who are around him o lord god of hosts who is like you almighty lord your faithfulness also surrounds you
1: Lord, as we stand on the verge of a new year, I mean, uh, the scriptures of talking about your faithfulness in this song sum it up. I mean, no matter what kind of year 2023 was for us, you were faithful. And the fact is, that we know that because we're still here for what? But we thank you for your faithfulness. We depend upon you. And this is, as the song says, strength for today and bright hope for the morrow. Because you are faithful, so we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, wish someone uh, happy New Year's tomorrow. So wish someone that and hey, happy 2023, or see you later, 2023, or whatever. Okay, as I was thinking about the end of the year. And songs that would be good for the new year, uh, I I kind of gravitated toward being thankful, right? We need to be thankful, so uh, you you'll you'll understand. understand. should be our desire may we go into the new year thankful, dependent and desiring a closer walk with you so whatever happened in 2023 I know for some was a disastrous year for some was a so so year for some it was an awesome year but whatever it is it's passing and we're going to mark time and start a new one And so we go into that year Lord we're still depending upon you for your glory for your honor to, to be displayed through us and for us and we thank you for that great privilege uh, as we know we, we we have family and friends that are hurting we have a world that is hurting we have a country that is hurting we have a state that is hurting we have a county that is hurting cities that are hurting I got people hurting everywhere they need you and you are the answer and we pray that uh, somehow that you can get that message to them and use us we pray but as we think about, you know, what we need for the new year, uh, may we resolve, as it were, you know, to depend upon you more. And like I said, just to have a closer walk. Oh, what a what a great thought. So, Lord, as we uh, hit that year, may this be in our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, shall we stand?
2: There it is already. <coughs> That's not even, well, I wonder what that is. That's not it. i
1: It. I think it's an old one but they, I mean, they nailed it I mean whoever wrote this uh, I think knew what they were talking about and they, they've lived through years and they're looking forward to years and they realize at the end of the day this is what we need is a closer walk with you and the good thing is Lord that you have brought us to the end of the year uh, and you brought us to a certain part of your scripture that just sets this up amazingly well And I thank you for that. And I pray that as we look at what Jesus had to say, that it will truly help us for the next year. So we pray to that end, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Well, as we come to a new year, you realize that uh, a new year, you know, has has several things kind of wrapped around it. Number one... It's a way to mark time. You know, Charlene and I were walking around the block the other day, you know, saying, you know, if we didn't have a calendar and if we didn't know what day it was, we wouldn't know today from yesterday or the next day or from Christmas or Thanksgiving or we'd know seasons because it's obviously cooler. But you wouldn't know that tomorrow's New Year's Day unless Steve was going to remind you of his birthday, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, in, a, in a real sense, New Year's is nothing to get all now frustrated about because it's just a way of marking time, all right, marking time. But as we mark time, there are several things that I think fly into that that are helpful. Number one, as we mark time, it's a way of reflecting upon the past year. And as we reflect, we're thinking, well, how was the last year? And, not, and maybe not even so much of how was the last year, but how was I in the last year? What, what are things that I, that I liked that I did? There are things that I was disappointed in myself, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you spend some time reflecting. Now, I, don't, I don't think you want to get too carried away with that to where you get depressed But concerned, maybe, if there's glaring areas, yes. But you reflect. And then as you reflect, what's the next one? It's an R word. Can you guess? Resolve. What are resolutions about? I have reflected, and I resolve to do this better. Or I resolve not to do that. Or I resolve to do this. So it can be very, very helpful. Yeah, I thought as I was thinking about this, and and I didn't plan it this way, but I'm thankful that God knows what he's doing. As we decided to look at the seven I am statements of Jesus to help us celebrate Christmas and to remember who that baby was in a manger. So remember, we decided to let Jesus tell us who he is. And so we were looking at the seven I am statements of our Lord. I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So those were the six that we've already looked at, which left one. And I thought, I was thinking, well, how am I going to fit this into Christmas? Because we didn't have a preaching service last week. We had our, our Christmas Eve service. And then I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. This one's excellent for New Year's. And so here we are. Jesus saying, number seven, I am the true vine. Now, you may be thinking, what in the world that's got to do with New Year's? It's got everything to do with New Year's. As we reflect, and especially as we resolve, Jesus is going to tell us what we should resolve to do. Now, as you look at John 15, in Jesus as the vine and we as the branches, you need to remember that this has a context. Yeah, I was thinking this morning. If you just jumped in to John 15 and and looked at this without knowing the context, you could make it say all kinds of things. And I have heard people make it say all kinds of things. And I say, wait a minute! I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. So what is key? And is what what is very important for us to really understand what Jesus is saying and then what the disciples would have understood. See, that's the key. One of the keys to biblical interpretation is you read the Bible and you're asking the question, well, what would the original audience have understood was said because that's what God said. Not what you wanted to say, not what maybe how it hits me today. How did it hit them? All right? So key to that is understanding the context. The context begins here in chapter 13. This is the night before Jesus goes to the cross. This is Thursday evening. They are celebrating the Passover. And you remember that in John, they're up in the upper room, all 12 of them, counting Jesus 13. And in John chapter 13, John chapter 14 John chapter 15, and John chapter 16. This is all one discourse. So, you know, we read, we're we just going to read, look at 11 verses. But they heard the whole thing. And if you read those chapters, it doesn't take that long to get through. So they're sitting there, and, and they get the whole picture. Key to what is happening is Judas. That's very important to understand. You know that from John chapter 6, Jesus knew who it was who was going to betray him. You remember in John chapter 6, after he had fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, probably more up to ten 15,000 people or more, if you, when you count women and children, because that 5,000 is just the men, that they, they showed up the next day wanting more food. And Jesus kind of saw through that and cuts through that, and he says, I'm the bread of life, you need me." And he made it very, very specific, in a sense very difficult, because he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you, you have no part in me, and you're not going to ever get what you're after, which is the bread that endures for eternal life. And he was speaking spiritually, and, I, and they understood that, I think. And then, as it says, as a result of this, John six sixty six, when they realized, well, he's not going to give us breakfast. So as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? And Simon Peter answered, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you the twelve and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot for he one of the twelve was going to betray him. Jesus knew that from the beginning. It's part of God's plan and yet Judas is responsible and is holding is being held responsible and will pay an eternal, debt in hell forever for what he did because he's guilty so Judas is there with the disciples three plus years basically 24 7 and we get to the end in John chapter 13 remember they came to have the 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 supper and Jesus knowing he's going back into heaven in verse 2 telling us during supper the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back from God, back, back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments, taking a towel, he girded himself, and he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. Now, you realize, back then, context... They didn't wear shoes. They didn't have socks. They wore sandals. They didn't have paved streets. They didn't have cement sidewalks. They had dirt. So as you walked, and as they were walking through Jerusalem, as they would have walked up to the upper room, their feet, no matter how clean they were when the day began, would have collected dust. And it was typical that when you went to dinner, you went to somebody's house, a slave or somebody would wash your feet. It's like we go to somebody's house today and they say, may I take your coat? Well, then, you know, well, we need to wash your feet. Because, two, they didn't have chairs. They they had low tables, more like your coffee table, and they reclined and ate. And so as you're reclining, your feet may be, you know, here where somebody else is dipping in or eating his food, so you needed to have clean feet. Now, at this supper, there was no slave there. There was no household servant. And one of the disciples you would have thought would have picked this up and said, Okay, we need to get our feet washed. I'll do it. But none of them did, because Luke tells us they were arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And if you're thinking, I'm the greatest, I'm not going to stoop and wash feet. So nobody did it. And Jesus saw that, and so he laid aside his garments, taking a towel. And he began to wash their feet. And he comes to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Simon Peter says the Lord, Do you wash my feet? Verse 6. Verse 7. Jesus answered and said to him, What I do now, you do not, real- what I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand thereafter. There and Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Lord, what are you doing? And Jesus answered, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Peter, Simon Peter said to him, O oh Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to be clean, only to, have his, only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. You have believed in me. You are you have been saved. So you have been washed. Your sins have been forgiven. But as you walk in this world, you'll get dirty. We will blow it. You look back to 2023 and you reflect, and I can tell you, every one of us is going to have a pile of sins that we realize we shouldn't have done. And so we don't need to be resaved. We need to just have our feet cleansed so that we can have our fellowship restored. As David prayed in Psalm 51, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Not my salvation, but I, I, I've got that. But, you know, I, I have blown it. And when you know how it is, when you disobey somebody, when you let somebody down, there's that rift. So we got to come back. And how we do that is we confess our sin and we say, I love the prayer of Psalm 23, restore my soul. Restore the joy of my salvation. And that's what Jesus is talking about. We're we're talking about cleaning your feet so you can stay close with me. And all of you have been cleansed, he says, except for Judas. So that tells us Judas is an unsaved devil. Keep that in mind. And then he says, well, I'm leaving. And then everybody's upset because he's leaving. And he says, chapter 14, don't be... You know, don't stop literally stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to bring you back. So, you know, he, he talks about that. And then he gets to chapter 15. And he gives them an analogy that they clearly understood. He's going to talk about a vine and branches. And the Jewish nation was familiar with vines and branches. For one, they grew a lot of them. Number two, God compares them as to as his vineyard often in the Old Testament. So they understood this. But Jesus is going to make a very big point that's going to really grab you for the next year. All right? So we're going to look at the first 11 verses of chapter 15, keeping all of that in mind. Oh, and by the way, Judas has already left. Remember in chapter 13, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me, and they're upset. Well, who is it, Lord? And he says, the one who... who um, Verse 26 of chapter 13, The Lord answered, This is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. Some were supposing that because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy things that we need for the feast or else that he should give something to the poor. So Judas leaves and they're not making the connection. But hopefully you will. Now we go to chapter 15. So all of that's happened. They're still there. And he says, well, chapter at the end of chapter 13, uh, 14, verse 31 You know, after he said he says, get up, let us go from there. There's a real debate about where did they go. Don't worry about that. So this is still continuing the discourse. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I spoke to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned if you abide in me and my words abide in you ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples just as the father has loved me i have also loved you abide in my love and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, as you reflect on 2023, simple, well, a lot of questions to ask. One of them was, what, how was your joy? How is your joy in 2023? And as you look forward to 2024, <laughs> what do you want? I don't know about you, but this sounds pretty good to me, that my joy would be made full. I like that. So, okay, how do you get there? Well, he just told you. Two key words to remember. Actually, I, like I said Friday, four key words, but two big words. Number: You're, you're going to look at the purpose, the purpose, which is one at a time. The purpose. We need to look, what's the, what's our purpose? The purpose is fruit. It's all about fruit. When, when you think about what am I here for, what do I need to think about in 2024, it's fruit. God wants me to bear fruit. I mean, it's all over this passage, right? Verse 2, Every branch in me that bears fruit, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it can bear more fruit. Verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit on its own unless it abides in the vine. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, he bears much fruit. Verse eight. This is very important. My father is glorified by this. You, you think about, okay, God, you know, you're great. How can I glorify you? You ready? By th- my father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit. Man, that's our purpose. How did Jesus teach us to pray? What's the first thing he said? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want your name to be recognized. I want your name to be honored. I want your name to be glorified. And here's a way we can do it by bearing fruit. And by proving that we are his disciples. And then you get down to verse 16. And he says, no longer shall I call you, rather, verse 16, you did not choose me. And if you're Peter and James and John and these guys, you're thinking, wait a minute. We, yeah, we did. Because you walked along, you came up to us as we were fishing, and you said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And we dropped our nets, left our business, and we followed you. We made that decision. Jesus says, well, yeah, you did. But you didn't choose me. I chose you. I mean, there's a lot of fishermen there. I didn't go to them. I went to you. I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain. It's all about fruit. God wants us to bear fruit, and by that, he is glorified. So now the next key question is, well, what in the world is fruit? Very simple answer, I believe anyway. Fruit is any inward or outward manifestation of God in you. Manifestation of a changed life that God has done is fruit. And that's what He's looking for. And as He does that, He is glorified because you can't do it. You can't do it. But as He does it in you and through the Holy Spirit, He is glorified as He changes your life. And anything He does in your life is fruit. For example, Go to Romans chapter 7. Yes. Romans, such an awesome book. In fact, when we get done with James, we may go back to Romans. Uh, uh, key, 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 key book for so much of our life. Here's fruit. It starts with first of all being aware of God's word and admitting and believing it is right. And then being upset when we can't keep it or when we don't keep it. That's fruit. Because unbelievers don't think that way. They, they don't acknowledge God's word. They're not interested in God's word. And they don't feel guilty when they don't keep it. But a true believer does, and that's fruit. So if you're looking back 2023, say, yeah, I did this, that, and the other thing, or I didn't do this, and I feel guilty, good. That's good. That's fruit. That means the Holy Spirit is within you trying to produce something, getting your attention. Paul said, for example, in verse uh, 7, chapter 7, verse 7, what shall we say then? Is law is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. I, I didn't know this was wrong until I read the Bible and God said, it is. I would not have known about coveting If the law had not said, you shall not covet, wouldn't understand lying was wrong if it said, you shouldn't bear false witness or murder or adultery or any of those other things that are in the law. Sin, verse 8, taking opportunity through the commandment, proceeded, rather produced in me, coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. And what he is just saying, apart from the law, I don't even know it's wrong. But as soon as I understood it was wrong, I wanted to do it all the more. Just like when they put the, grant, the sign up, stay off the grass. What does our human tendency want to do? Is Oh yeah, watch this. Verse 9. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. That's true. When you feel guilty, when you recognize you have erred, that's fruit. David prayed his prayer of confession in Psalm 51. "Is Lord, against thee In thee only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When you do that, that's fruit. And then he goes through, we won't take time to read that, the rest of chapter 7. He says, you know what, uh, verse 15, for example, For what I am doing I do not understand, I'm not practicing what I would like, but I do the very thing that I hate. And then he says, I realize it's the sin nature that still lives within me, the propensity still to do evil. I find, verse 21, this principle that is present, that that evil is in me, the one who wants to do good. For, verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man. When you do that, that's fruit. Unbelievers don't do that. But I see a different law in the members of my body. Go to chapter 8 verse 13, if we live according to the flesh you must die. but if you are by the spirit putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. If you look back on 2023 there will be some there will be some victories. That's the spirit putting to death things. You may come back to it but it, it comes back. We'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that on Wednesday when we get back to Wednesdays. but that's all fruit. that's all fruit. And then, of course, you're thinking, well, I know what fruit is. Galatians 5, yeah, yeah, the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What is it that God wants to produce in you and that he will prune you so that you produce more of it? What is it? Love, joy. This is Galatians 5.22. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How'd you do I look at that and I go, whoa, okay, yeah, this one is good. This one is good. uh, This one we slipped a little. You know, as you look at that and the Spirit says, okay, we want to work on this because this is the fruit God wants to produce in you so that he is glorified because you can't do this on your own. You want to know what you would do on your own? Back up a few verses. Verse uh, 19, here's what you do on your own. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envies, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. This is who you are. I heard a pastor say this week, we don't sin to become sinners. We sin because we are sinners. This is what we look like. So that when God starts to produce in us, because we have heard the news about Jesus, we've admitted that he's true and he's right, and, and we say, look, at, I, I believe you're the bread of life, I believe you're the light of the world, I believe you're the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, and, and the only way, truth, and life, and the true vine, and, and I want that, I confess my sin, I fall before you, I say, Lord, save me, I believe in you, he does, and he begins to produce this in you, that's fruit. That's the whole point of what God wants for you. So as you, as you uh, uh, not only reflect, but as you resolve, the issue is fruit. I want fruit. I want to. Re- I want to. I want to reflect on what kind of fruit did I produce, and uh, and and I want more of it. Now you'll notice back to chapter 15 of John. This is where I say the context is very important because some people get all upset and fall over verse 2 where he says every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. And we know that the branch he takes away down to verse 6 you know he's thrown away as a branch dries up gathers them casts them in the fire they are burned. So we realize oh my goodness is this somebody that lost their salvation because it says that everyone in me that does not bear fruit well, understand the context. He's meaning everyone in me, everyone, anyone who identifies with me. This is where Judas is so important because Judas identified with him. As you looked at Judas, you'd say, yes, he's in Christ. He's one of the disciples. But he defected, and he left, and he was never truly a disciple. Those are the ones that fall away, the unbelievers, the unbelievers. And then you'll notice that even if you're bearing fruit, and as somebody said, yeah, we don't bear what we would like, but every Christian will have some fruit to one degree or another. You may have to, as one preacher said, I'll never forget this. He said, you know, you may have to look for a shriveled up grape somewhere, but it'll be there. And so as you, as a true believer, are bearing fruit, what does our Father do? He cleanses us, that's the literal word, so that we bear more fruit. You know, when I worked on the farm, I did this. I I had my little knife and I'd go along on my knees. I don't know how I did it because the suckers were at the bottom, you know, around the the trunk and you had to cut those off. And you know, just one after another after another all day long, because if you don't, it's gonna hamper the growth of the vine. When, When the peaches were starting to come, we had to go, and I didn't like this because A, I don't count that well. And we had to go, we had to kind of climb up in the tree and count peaches. Because if there were too many peaches, it would sap the strength and they would never grow large. And so they only wanted so many peaches up there. And so we we had to pick a bunch off so that it would free the vine up to bear bigger fruit. It's exactly what God does for us. He's going to to reveal things to you. You're going to be dissatisfied. You're going to read the word of God and go, oh, my goodness, he is pruning. He is pruning you to bear more fruit. And As you look back to 2023, you may see some pruning. That's okay because he loves you and he wants you to bear more fruit. So that's the first key word is fruit. Now the question is, okay, how do I get there? Well, the purpose is fruit. The plan is abiding the plan is abiding. Jesus says, look it, you. the branch doesn't bear fruit by itself. It's the vine that has the life. As the branch is connected to the vine, the, the life of the, of, the, of the vine flows through the branch to produce fruit. It's the life of Jesus flowing through us that produces the fruit. And we need to abide I love that. I love that. If you abide in me, verse four. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, me, so neither can you unless you abide in me. And they understood this. Yeah, we cut off a branch, it lays on the ground, it's gonna die. It's only when it's connected and stays to the vine. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown out, or rather, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So you reflecting on 2023, how, how much love, how much joy, how much peace? You can go to the gifts of the Spirit, even whatever it is you do. I mean, did I do that for God's glory or for my own glory? And you can just, you can just say, well, how much fruit did I get? And, and you know what the problem is? There were some areas I tried to fix and I couldn't fix them. You know why? Because you, you, you disengaged yourself for that time from the vine. And he says, you can't do nothing without me. You know, there, there's a dating myself. Uh, but there's, there's a, there was a great song from 1976 from Daniel Amos, their first album, which I think was their best. And it's called abiding, abiding. And, and, you know, I was thinking about this, and I, I had to listen to this several times. It goes like this. No bribing, no conniving, no striving will do. They'll never make no change in you. You can hold your breath, stand on your head, till the changes won't come, till they're spirit led. Abiding. That's when the changes come. Abide in Jesus. He's the best at getting it done. We've all been there. We've all tried bribing, conniving, striving, standing on our... And we realize we we go good and then we fall. we got to abide. Example, verse 1. Now a Christian brother whose name was Ben had a real bad problem, seemed without end. His patience at time got the better of him, so he tried many methods like counting to ten. Still the harder he tried, the harder it got till his face grew red and he cussed a lot. He confessed his sin and forgiveness came, but then Ben would go out and do it again. Does that not sound familiar? Or is it only me? When the old boy, what the old boy needed was delivery and only God's spirit could set him free, Ben began to abide like branch into the vine. Now his deliverance is his every time. That's the key. Jesus will fix you if you let him. Now you're saying, oh, wait a minute. I thought that once we're in the vine, we can't get out of the vine. Well, that's true. But now hang on. John chapter 10. Remember, Jesus said, who are my disciples? Who are my sheep? Verse 27. My sheep are those who hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And as they hear my voice and follow me, I give them eternal life to them and they will never perish. So you'll never be cut off and put in that pile to dry it up like the Judas's. It never happen. Uh, they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father am one. So, if that is true, what is Jesus talking about this abiding thing? I mean, if I'm going to be to the vine, because I have to be to the vine to be saved, what, what's what? In, in fact, it's a command abide. Well, as, as so often he does, John MacArthur <laughs> had this great statement. It sums it up. Listen to this quote. The Lord's command, abide in me, in verse 4, is primarily a plea to false disciples of Christ to repent and express true faith in him. Again, remembering Judas, he looked like he was in Christ and all of that, but he bore no fruit and he was a devil. So this is a plea. Look at you, you realize that about yourself and repent and come to me. But then he says this it also serves. To encourage genuine believers to abide in him in the fullest, deepest, and most complete sense. So here's where the illustration, in a sense, breaks down. Because, you know, I say that reverently because the Lord said it. But it's the point I believe he's making. You know, a a literal vine and branches, the branches cannot separate themselves. All right? But in essence, we can. We're connected. I I don't know how you would think about that, but what he's saying is you need to be in me in the fullest sense. So let me give you three ways to do that, and maybe this will help. You say, well, how how do I bind? How do I stay? How can I I be in there so the power flows? Okay, here's how. And he tells you, verse 7, right? Verse 7. If you abide in me and, what? My words abide in you. You see, we, in a sense, separate ourselves when we are not in the word of God. I know a lot of people that that's the case. Sad, very sad, professing believers. Don't read their Bibles. Don't go to church. Don't, you know, and, and, and you, if you look at their life, I hope they evaluate their life. Where's the fruit? Well, there ain't going to be any because you have, in that sense, separated. You're not abiding in his word. This is where Bible reading, however you do it, is essential. Just like eating you do not fast from the Word. You do not go on a diet with the Word. The more of the Word you can get, the better off you are. And in that sense, as MacArthur said, the, the fuller and the deeper you are abiding. All right? So next year, I, I, somebody prayed this morning, you know, I just want to be in the Word more. Amen. You know, I mean, how much how much TV do you I have to ask myself, how much attention do I give to sports. Now that we're towards the end, I pay more attention. You get the playoffs and all of that, and bowl games, or, or F one racing, or whatever it is that you're into. How much time do I give to that, as compared to the Word of God? And then you can ask, well, how much how much fruit did all of that really produce in me? That really lasts, and as Jesus said, remains, so that the Father is glorified. And I have to say, well, little to none. You've answered your own question. You go to the word of God and you read and you read. And every part of the fruit of a true believer, you read this and God speaks to you. And you know it. I know it all the time. I read this. I've, I've said for years, at the time I read the Bible and nothing happens, man, I'm in big trouble. But I read this and as I've been reading about God pruning, for example, you read a passage, here's so how he prunes. He says, are you doing this? Well, I am. Well, it's wrong. Well, I know. Well, what are we going to do about it? You know, we, 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 need, we need to get rid of that. Talk about that in a second. So you, you talk about abiding. He says, abide in my word. The more you abide in his word, the more you're abiding. Number two. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in. You want to measure the, deep, the, deep, the, the <coughs> deepness of your commitment, the deepness of your fruit, the deepness of all of that. Look at your obedience. Number three. Back to verse two. The Father who loves you, and as you are bearing fruit, maybe a little grape here and there, and it's dried up, 2020, he says, you know, we, we want to bear more fruit next year. So, the Father, he prunes it. Most translations say prune. It's the same word for cleanse that is in verse 2. He cleanses you to bear more fruit. How does he do that? Convicts you. He says, hey, you know, this is wrong. The Spirit speaks to you and you say, yeah, I know it's wrong. I I think another way, you know, he may send you a trial to get your attention. because. Do we not pay more attention to God through trials? Or or it may just be, you know, getting to the point where we realize, man, that doesn't work. What I've been doing just doesn't work. A a devotional yesterday somebody sent me. We talked about dead ends. And, you know, the the sign dead end. If you're looking to go down the street and it says dead end, you're right. I don't want to go down that street because it's a dead end. Think of how many dead ends we've gone down in 2023. So as the Father prunes us, and as he starts to say, "I got you need to get rid of this, what do we do? Well, we're in the Word. That's how we know. And I say, Lord, I want to obey. We need to cooperate. And I said, surrender. Surrender. Let God do that. And he says, we're going to cut this off. There's no bribing, no jiving, no conniving. We'll do it. No, they'll start arguing with God. A, you'll never win that argument. But B, he, he loves you more and he's doing this for your good. And so like we saw in James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brother, and when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work. Say, so how do I do that? I cooperate with God. He says, you need to get rid of this, get rid of it. Say, Lord, I really don't want to get rid of it. Change my heart first, and then help me get rid of it. And then one step at a time, we're going to get rid of it. You know and I find that what he gets rid of is all the stumbling blocks that we have accumulated for example it is a very clear illustration in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says verse 27 you have heard it said you shall not commit adultery yeah I, I understand that that's pretty clear right but Jesus says I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with less for her has already committed adultery in her heart with her in his heart oh. Now now you're guilty. Now listen what he says next. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for one to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be to go to hell. To go into hell. Now he's not talking about gouging out your eyes because that doesn't work monks have tried that and they said it didn't work or cutting off an arm they would have understood he's saying deal with this drastically get rid of the stumbling block because it's hampering your fruit production and the father is going to say i want you to get rid of that oh if that doesn't hit you find ezekiel chapter 14 I I think in reading through the Bible one year I I came across Ezekiel 14 and it was like oh whoa whoa, is this not practical Ezekiel 14 verse 1 some of the elders of Israel came to me Ezekiel says and sat down before me and the word of the Lord came to me saying son of man these men who are the elders of Israel have set up their idols in their hearts have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity should I be consulted by them at all therefore speak to them and tell them thus says the Lord God any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols in his heart puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity idols are stumbling blocks They're going to cause you to stumble. They're going to cause you to sin. And they're going to hamper your your fruit production. I think one of the ways the Lord, our Father, prunes us is he says, we've got to get rid of this idol, this thing that in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it. But you spend way too much attention on this. You spend way too much time in this. And to you, it's become an idol. You love this more than me. We got we to lop this off or trim it back or do something so you could bear more fruit. And that's what he says. So what does he want us to do? He says, um, verse 5, in order to lay hold of the hearts of of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. See, that's what happens is we love it more than we love him and it draws us away and, and that's all we think about. That's what we live for. He says, you forgot your purpose. Your purpose is to bear fruit. You forgot the plan. The plan is to abide so you can bear fruit. You can't do that with all these idols. So what do you do? End of verse 6, thus says the Lord God, repent and turn away from our idols and turn your faces away from all your your abominations. In other words, is the Father is pruning you to bear more fruit in 2024, surrender, cooperate, and let him. You see, he gives us that choice in this sense, that if we grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, if we quench the Holy Spirit, First, First Thessalonians 5 the Holy Spirit doesn't leave but we've said I'm not going to do it that way and God says fine you're on your own and we look back at our life and we say well what did that produce well, that's not really what I wanted to see produced the only way to produce fruit that honors God and will give you a life really worth living is to abide in his word keep his commandments and cooperate with God as he prunes you. Father, what, what, I'm I just amazed at just what a glorious passage that is. And as we come to 2024, may, uh, may this be our, our heart's desire. May, may we want you to prune us, however painful it is, and then to help us, because there's no jiving conniving that we'll do we've tried that, it doesn't work. But the closer we stay to you, with, it comes back to the basics, the word of God, prayer, fellowship with the saints, will be producing fruit. You don't even have to think about it. You don't have to worry about it. You just concentrate on abiding in Christ through his word, through obedience, through cooperating with God as He as He prunes you. It will happen. And then, Lord willing, we're at this point next year, and you'll say, whoa, can you believe that? Look at what God did through me, for me, to his glory, because he did. Think about those words, and then we're going to end with a prayer for next year. for helping us do that in 2023 and we thank you that you do this for us in 2023 strength for today bright hope for tomorrow this
2: is what we're hoping for next year help us do it we pray in Jesus name